Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Miss Whitman's Civics and Economics. This week, we're going to round out our economics notes as we take a look at taxation all the way through career planning. So starting with taxation, um, it's going to be section 10 of your notes. Taxation, as we kind of discussed briefly on our economic flowchart, is needed and used by the government. The government uses taxes, borrows, and spends money to influence economic activity. So if the government, for example, is increasing their taxes, they are going to reduce funds available for private citizens and businesses spending. So if more individuals and businesses have to pay in to taxes, the less money they have left in order to spend on their own consumer goods and vice versa. If taxes go down, the government isn't charging as much tax-wise, then there's more money available for private and businesses to spend. So if you don't have to pay as much in taxes one year, you have money saved over, you're more likely to spend that extra money on your own consumer goods and services. If taxes go down, people spend more. If taxes go up, people spend less. So there's definitely a correlation between the amount of taxes the government asks for and the amount of uh, spending that it has on citizens. And we see that here on the next slide too. If the government, in addition to raising taxes, borrows money, it reduces the funds available for individuals and businesses. So if the government is borrowing money from banks and other financial institutions, there's less available funds for, say, startup businesses to ask the same, same banks for. So the government borrows more money, say, for more um, infrastructure building or military spending. There's less of that money, those funds available for individuals and businesses to borrow from as well. And vice versa, if the government is not borrowing as much, there's a decrease in government borrowing. That means there's more funds available for individuals and businesses. So there, again, is a correlation between how much the government borrows. If it's more borrowing, there's less funds. If it's less borrowing, there's more funds available. So when one's up, the other is down. When the government spends more money, there oftentimes is an increase in demand, which increases employment because people have to meet the demand that the consumers want. So if you're especially working in a business or a field where demand is high, employment has to be high because you have to meet that demand, that production. Um, so it's actually a very good thing when we see the government spending more money, it usually is a sign that the economy is growing, that the demand is growing, consumer sovereignty is growing, and therefore employment is growing because again of this economic flow chart, um, their producers have to rely on people to make the resources in order to meet demand that consumers are asking for. So when we see increased government spending, it is a good sign that the economy is going up, jobs are increasing, and demand is increasing. Once we see the economy slowing down, this is the second part here, the decreasing spending reduces demand and also slows down the economy because jobs aren't needed as much to meet the lower demand. Um, so it's better to see a government spending more because it shows the economy is growing more. 
Increased government spending can result in higher taxes, depending on what that is being, um, the taxes are being spent on. However, with government, like we said in the previous slide, is spending more, it usually means people are employed more and they have more income coming in to um, meet those higher taxes. It's not necessarily a bad thing when we see government spending increasing our taxes because that just means the taxes kind of reflect the um, overall employment of the nation. Um, sometimes it is a little off though, so decreased government spending may result in lower taxes. It, de it de depends on what the economy is doing. The economy more or less is this big kind of roller coaster, what I kind of refer to it as. There's always going to be ups and there's always going to be downs. It kind of fluctuates as um, demand, supply, and ultimately taxes fluctuate too. There is one last amendment that we need to address here, um, and it's the 16th Amendment. So please make sure you have this written down. The 16th Amendment was added to the U.S. Constitution as the U.S. and Congress decided to tax incomes for personal and business um, expenses. So the 16th Amendment allowed our government to tax your personal income and then the income businesses acquire as well. Again, please make sure you write that down. 16th Amendment established income tax. If you need a pause or rewind at any point as you're listening to this video, just a friendly reminder, you're more than welcome to do so. So moving on to our next section, we have to take a look at the Federal Reserve. And this is um, a very important note to kind of start off with, that the Federal Reserve is our nation's bank. So the Federal Reserve, or the Fed sometimes, as it's um, called, is our nation's bank. It's the United States banking system. So that's a really important note to add to your notes as well. The Federal Reserve is our nation's bank. As a central bank of the United States, the Federal Reserve has four main duties, four main functions. You want to know at least three out of these four um, and as you write down your notes and listen to the lecture here. So the first duty or function of the Federal Reserve is to maintain the value of our currency. So essentially to maintain the value of our dollar. Um, the value of our dollar is based on how well our economy is doing and how much money is currently um, in circulation that's regulated by this Federal Reserve System. So banks will ensure the soundness of banking system and look at the safety deposits, how much money is the banking systems um, receiving from individuals, government, and businesses, and the amount of money that they are receiving that it's being deposited is going to um, impact the value of our currency. It's going to impact the value of our dollar. The Federal Reserve, this is the third bullet point, manages money in the economy to try to make sure that inflation is low and that our currency is stable. Now, inflation essentially means that the value of our dollar is going down. That's not worth a dollar. So the dollar itself is kind of losing its power. It's losing its um, currency, the value of it. And that's inflation. So the job of the Federal Reserve is to make sure inflation doesn't happen or is very, very low. Essentially, the Federal Reserve wants to make sure that the money that individuals and government and businesses have is being spent because the more money that's being spent, remember, in the economy, 
the more um, that shows our economy is growing, that demand is growing and consumers are willing to buy things. But if people aren't willing to buy and add to this a kind of circular kind of cycle of the economy itself, inflation happens, meaning that no one's spending their money. And if no one's spending money, you don't see a lot of currency being exchanged. So the Federal Reserve is there to kind of manage that to make sure our economy is constantly growing upwards and not going down or stopping at a halt. Um, and then once again, the Federal Bank or the Federal Reserve is our nation's bank. It's the bank that takes a look at what is happening in our overall economy and making sure that dollar stays um, at its intended value. So how does the Federal Reserve slow down the economy if it is moving too fast? Sometimes the economy moves very quickly and we can't almost catch up to ourselves. So that what the Federal Reserve has to do is slow it down to keep it at a stable level. So how does the Federal Reserve slow down the economy? Well, first, it's going to increase the reserve requirement. The reserve requirement is a required amount of money that the banks have to hold on to, that they can't loan out um, to other businesses or individuals. So if the economy is moving way too fast, people are spending way too much money too quickly, what the Federal Reserve is going to tell the banks to do is kind of put a pause on that. They're going to tell the banks, increase your reserve requirement. Do not allow individuals to take out more loans. We have to slow it down the economy at this point. What the Federal Reserve will also do is they're going to raise discount rates. Okay? They're going to raise those rates because it's going to slow down the amount of money people are pushing into the economy because if the economy moves way too fast. Again, we can't catch up to it. It's, it's almost out of control at that point. We need to slow it down. We need to take a step back. The Federal Reserve will also sell government securities like bonds because government securities, especially bonds, have to be held on to for a certain amount of years in order to cash them in. So it's promoting this idea of saving your money instead of pushing your money out because again, this economy is moving too fast. We need to slow it down. Um, so please make sure you understand um, why the Federal Reserve slows down the economy with these three things of how that actually happens. So please take a moment to write down what you see here on the screen before moving on to the next slide, because the next slide is going to talk about ways to stimulate the economy ways to increase the economy because it isn't moving fast enough. So if the economy isn't moving, it isn't increasing, we need to fix that because we need our economy to constantly increase in order for people to have jobs, to meet the demand, to meet and then get uh, their resources production and um, eventually the payment for those resources back into the economy. So sometimes the economy is slowing down and we need to speed it up a little bit or we need to stimulate it. So what the Federal Reserve is going to do is actually the opposite of what we talked about the slide before. So ways to increase the economy, ways to stimulate it, to get it moving a little faster, they're going to the Federal Reserve is going to lower the reserve requirement. They're going to lower the amount the banks have to keep on hand. Um, if the banks are allowed to give out more loans, 
then that allows businesses and individuals to obtain those loans and then spend the money on building up their business or spend the money on other kind of consumer goods and services. So that helps the economy grow more because more money is pushed into the economy. That's by lowering the reserve requirement for the banks. The banks are able to give out more loans. The Federal Reserve is also going to lower the discount rate. So they're going to lower the rate um, to make it more affordable for businesses and individuals who will then uh, more likely spend the extra money they're saving on this lower discount rate back into the economy. Again, promoting it to go a little faster, especially if it was slowing down. And then last but not least, the Federal Reserve is going to purchase back those government securities. So they're going to purchase back loans. They're going to purchase back um, other government securities, or I'm sorry, bonds, not loans. They're going to purchase back bonds to stimulate that economy, to encourage people to spend more money. Okay, So this only happens, the stimulation of the economy only happens when the economy is moving too slow. We have to speed it up. And these are the four or these are the three ways the Federal Reserve does that. Okay. And if you need a pause and rewind, especially with those two key concepts, please make sure you do so. The last couple slides here as we end out their economics unit is really going to take a look at the consumer. So take a look at the individual and how they kind of um, what role they play within this economy. So first, it's important to note that consumers, individuals do have rights. The United States government has passed laws and created agencies to protect consumer rights and property rights. So what is the role the United States government has in protecting your consumer rights? Well, first, individuals have the right of private ownership. Remember, this is a mixed economy, so individuals can own their own businesses. Um, and your private ownership is protected by laws and negotiations. Um, so you are able to own your own business and to get those profits from that own business by the laws and corporations and agencies that are created within our government already because of that mixed economy. Government agencies also establish guidelines to protect your public health and safety based on the products that are being sold to you. So each product that is kind of in the market now has to meet certain guidelines, the public safety uh, guidelines to ensure that that product is in fact safe to use or consume. Consumers may also take legal action against any violations of their consumer rights. So if you buy a product that is harmful to your health or safety, you can take legal action um, because that is something that is supposed to be um, given by the, the companies. They have to meet those safety protocols. So if they don't um, and you receive a product that causes harm to your health and safety, you can take legal action against the companies um, that is protected under your consumer rights. And as consumers, uh, we often times take um, our role in this economic system um, through the use of currency. So it's important to know that currency is any is money that is defined as anything that is generally accepted as a payment of uh, method of payment. So anytime you are trying to pay for your goods and services, that is going to be that method of payment is a type of money. So in the United States, we usually use the main kind of things or um, 
types of currency are going to be as followed. But that exchange of money, uh, that exchange of our price that we agree upon for our good and service, the payment method is considered to be currency. So there's three main types of currency found in the United States. The first one are coins or paper money. Is the second one, so Federal Reserve notes are um, your paper money, coins are your typical nickels, dimes, quarters. Um, they can still be exchanged for goods and services. And the third one, probably being the most popular, most well-used one, um, especially today, is deposits and banks that can be accessed through your credit and debit cards. So most people pay for the goods and services out of convenience with a debit or credit card, which is linked directly to your bank accounts based on the deposits you make within those bank accounts. Um, but we still use paper money, so your Federal Reserve notes, and coins in exchange for goods and services. So there's three main types of currency, coins, pennies, nickels, dimes, Federal Reserve notes, your dollar bills, and most people use credit or debit cards. Um, that are linked to their bank accounts to pay for goods and services. There's the three types of currency. Please make sure you have all three written down. And last but not least, we have to take a look both at career planning and fiscal responsibility. So in order to obtain um, money that goes into your bank accounts to pay for goods and services, Individuals have to be aware of their talents, interests, and aspirations when selecting a career. Because ultimately, every single one of you will have a career that you are either working towards now or that you're going to be working towards in the future to obtain. And when you think about what career you want, um, you're going to take into consideration what your talents are, what your interests are, and what kind of field you want to pursue. So attitudes and behaviors do support a strong work ethic, which helps in career success. Just like in school, a strong work ethic, making sure that your assignments are handing in on time, that you're doing your very best that you can possibly do. Um, those attitudes and behaviors of a strong work ethic really are seen in the workforce as well, because the more time um, and strong work ethic that you put into your career, the more success you'll have in the end. Um, so there definitely is a correlation between skills, education, and income. The more skills you build, the more education you build onto what you already know um, allows you to obtain more income in the future because you are constantly building on the information that you currently have to better yourselves, to better yourselves in your career, and then to ultimately better yourselves in um, the amount of income that you bring in which would also help your families um, and your own kind of personal aspirations as well. Change, it is important to note though, that especially with um, the innovation of technology that seems to be updating on a day-to-day -day basis, changes in technology have been influencing the ability, skills, and education needed in the marketplace. So we are seeing a lot of jobs, um, not only going from in-person to virtual in this past year, uh, but technology really is a mainstay in a lot of the abilities and skills that are looked for by employers as you um, kind of enter the workforce. So career planning starts with self-assessment. It starts with, again, what you're interested in, what your talents are, uh, what kind of career do you want to have 
for yourself in the future. Employers will look for employees or workers who demonstrate that strong work ethic, that demonstrate the um, idea that they want to keep bettering themselves and to learn more about their uh, career they have chosen. Because the more skills and education you build on to your career, the more income you can receive later on. And that's kind of what the third bullet point talks about here is that you want to keep increasing and learning the skills and education um, once you enter the workforce and keep trying to better yourself in that position. Supply and demand also influences jobs. Sometimes we see um, certain jobs within um, the economy that are needed more than others. Most of the time, if there is a large demand for medical workers, you'll see a lot more people joining the medical field, um, just as there might be a large demand for people to join technology workplaces, you'll see demand too. So there sometimes is a trend depending on uh, what currently is happening in the economy or what's currently even happening in the nation um, that would demand more jobs over others. But that is kind of a um, influencer in the amount of jobs available for people to get. And we already talked about technology in the workplace, so we're not going to spend too much time on here. But technology has increased um, even in the past five years, seems to be increasing almost every year from there on of being added more and more into the workplace, especially with people uh, working from home um, in the past year or so. So technology creates new job opportunities, it creates new job environments, um, and it allows for information to flow from people to work across all borders. So even people can work from home and still get a lot done as compared to working in a traditional office space. And last but not least, we are going to look at fiscal responsibility. So once you obtain your first job, um, you are excited about the career, you want to excel in it, it's important to know that you have to think about your fiscal responsibility of when you get your first paycheck and how to save beyond that. So being fiscally responsible includes making careful decisions. You want to make sure that your spending decisions, your savings decisions are all based on where you want to be in the future. So you um, should be saving a certain amount of your paycheck. About 25% of your paycheck is recommended um, to save in order to build on what your aspirations are later on. So you want to have insurance. You want to keep a budget. You want to use credit wisely. Um, you also want to understand how contracts and warranties work, especially with those big purchases. So if you are in the market to buy your first car, your first home, um, that is a big investment. So you want to understand where your money is being invested and how it's going to help you the most later on. That's the idea of being fiscally responsible, that you're um, thinking about spending your money wisely um, and then saving and investing in larger things like cars and houses um, to make sure that you are set up for the future later on. Okay. If there are any questions, on any of the slides that we've covered so far. We covered a lot here from being fiscally responsible to um, gaining your first career and what the career planning means, from currency to consumer rights, all the way back when we started off this lecture with taxes and um, government spending. So if you need help with anything, need to go back at any point to listen to any particular slide, please make sure you do so. 
Um, once you are finished answering the Ed Puzzle questions, check in with me, make sure they came through. But this officially is going to bring an end to our very last lecture here in Miss Whitman Civics and Economics. I'll see you all next time. Thank <laughs> you.